Okay, so hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of Default Global. This is where we connect with global first entrepreneurs and remote work experts from all around the world. Our guest today is Rob Hamblin, uh, co-founder at Takes and founder at Leap. Rob, thanks for joining us today. No worries. Nice to, nice to see you, but thanks for having me. Sure. Uh, yeah, it is a, it's a huge pleasure, pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, and just let's start with, with maybe your quick background. Given your extensive background in digital product design and leadership roles and with, with major clients like Amex, Adidas, Twitter, could you share maybe with, with, our, with our audience a bit more about your, about your journey yeah, and what, what led you to, to co-found Takes and establish Leap? Yeah, sure. So I'll try and keep this as condensed as possible. But I think I've nearly hit the three decades mark on my career. Uh, <laughs> originally started out as uh, a visual designer uh, and then realized very early on, actually actually in the very early days, a, a traditional graphic designer. And then after several years, I transitioned into designing for small screen and mobile in the early 2000s. And for me, it was a, that was a huge transition because obviously everybody has a mobile phone now so to kind of be at the forefront even before iphone uh, was launched uh, and designing mobile uh, back in those days was very challenging but also a huge part of like who i am today and um, i was kind of part of the dot-com boom era where um, we sat at the same desk but we were bought out and the company changed names so originally what was 3g lab um turned its name to trigenics trigenics was then acquired by qualcomm inc which is based in uh, San Diego, huge chipset manufacturer. And um, I actually ended up leaving Qualcomm, I think it was 2009, uh, as a senior design manager. And uh, I ended up going freelance for uh, several years and ended up working for companies like Snapdragon, uh, Vodafone, Deutsche Telekom. And uh, then actually I'd made friends with two co-founders that were in Berlin uh, based at a very small boutique agency called AJ and Smart and uh, helped them out on several projects. And in, in at the same time, I was headhunted by IBM to be a creative director of UX and to help form a new studio in Dubai. Uh, I was there for two years, uh, three months into that role, uh, the two co-founders from AJ, John and Michael, they were like, just come and join us. So. Uh, they actually waited for me for two years before I then went and joined them. And uh, for anyone who has heard of AJ and Smart, uh, they were uh, instrumental in uh, the design sprint process and condensing what was originally a five-day sprint from uh, Jake Knapp into four, day, uh, four days. And what was appealing with that was that it was the fact that it was uh, it was more appealing to like enterprise customers. So companies like Twitter and uh, McKinsey and uh, Adidas and you know you name all the big ones at HSBC as well uh, we ended up running uh, product uh, design sprints uh, for those companies so and then in, after that chapter um, for me it was I wanted to go and actually start my own agency which has been a long dream of mine and actually for me the kind of the, the nutshell moment or like the, the business model whichever way you want to look at it was being able to combine like the enterprise design thinking that we used to do at IBM along with uh, the, the rapid innovation framework like the design sprint and combining those and then actually giving our customers more of a, an end-to-end -end, uh, kind of strategy and design execution solutions. So yeah, and that's me now. So founder of yeah, my own uh, my own thing, Be The Leap. Uh, we're very small here mm -hmm. based in Berlin as well, but we're kind of remotely situated as a, as a team. So yeah, yeah, yeah pretty awesome. much for me. Yeah. 
That's amazing. Uh, let, let's 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 definitely delve into Leap. Uh, so uh, you mentioned that your company focuses on this solving uh, complex business challenges through different methodologies like design yeah. design thinking and design sprint, right? Yeah. So for for our audience who might be not familiar with this, could you elaborate on what design thinking is, what design sprint is? Yeah. So uh, and actually within our industry also is a, a huge kind of misconception of what design thinking is and part of my rationale at be the leap was to start putting design thinking into our products so that our customers actually understood it more more clearly so in a nutshell um design thinking is basically you empathize with your customers your end users of your product so by doing design thinking, there's a, a, a strict set of um, you know, tools out of your toolkit that you can apply. And uh, normally they're in-person workshops because you know to get to know your customers, you want to meet them, right? And you want to kind of see their emotions. You want to understand how they're feeling. You want to know what they're thinking. All of these components actually help us to build a better picture of who they are on their day-to-day, -day, where they're having pain points, and uh, where we as kind of innovators can uh, maybe strategize opportunities to help them solve for their pain points. And I would say that's probably the most uh, kind of concise summary of design thinking, but it's basically about having more empathy for the, the people that you're designing products for. Okay, okay, got it. And just and, maybe from the practical perspective, can yeah. you can you give some specific example on how design thinking can help like a small startup or a big organization that you work with, yeah. you know, build better product? Yeah, so actually, I'll tell you a little story from when I was at IBM. Uh, we were working for local government healthcare. And uh, the, uh, the healthcare uh, kind of uh, offering was uh, was kind of flawed, I guess you could say. There were they were hemorrhaging money in certain areas, and actually we designed two um, two apps for them. One was for diabetes, and one was for pregnancy. And these were two uh, kind of you know in Dubai as well, like day to day. Like uh, diabetes was a big big deal, right? People don't go out and walk in the middle of the summer because it's too hot, right? So typically, as a as a nation, they are. You know, more susceptible to, um, you know, to, uh, to diabetes, right? So they wanted to ultimately save money long-term because they realized that it was actually costing them a lot of money. So by having some digital, digital customer experience that would enable people to have a bit more visibility of this awful disease like much earlier was a, a good way of them being able to um, identify that, you know, there, there were significant uh, money savings uh, for the future of their business. So again, it kind of comes back to the business, right? Much like the sprint, you're validating a business or business model, design thinking, it still comes back to the business, but you, you have more empathy with your customers that are using it. So in this particular situation, they identified that they were losing a lot of money, like hundreds of millions of dollars, and they applied design thinking methodologies to help them solve for a more customer-centric solution that would actually help them save money. So that's probably the easiest way of explaining that one. And, okay. Uh, in an awesome. enterprise format, I would say. At yeah, least anyway. yeah, yeah. That's that's a good one, I guess. Uh, so, in, in just in just a short period of time uh, after you launched Leap, uh, Leap uh, has attracted like attention of like a large organizations like Amex, McKinsey. So you got a lot of uh, big clients, right? As as 
and an agency founder myself, I'm, I'm really curious. How about how, how exactly did you do that? Could, could you share your approach? How can small organization like acquire such a big clients, uh, especially from the international point of view, where you are based yeah. in one country and you acquire guys from like a uh, from the United States or other other countries? Yeah. So uh, first of all, let me just be really clear. So um, uh, McKinsey was before Be the Leap, um, but um, we are still. I, I am very proud to say that we are still on uh, an agency-approved vendor list for both American Express and McKinsey. But we just haven't had a project kind of uh, collaboration yet. But um, you know, that being said, you know we've helped companies like Santander, and we also work with uh, top Fortune 100 companies in San Francisco as well. And um, for me, it was, uh, you know, I've spent a good part of my uh, career building relationships with uh, with people that I've worked with in the past. And um, that means, you know, if, if clients come and work with us and uh, or if I've, for example, been in my senior role at IBM, you know, like I like to be efficient in everything that I do. And I think when, for example, I left IBM, there were people that were very senior partners that were that also then left and went on to explore their own ventures, either inside or outside. And uh, they obviously, you know, if you build a good reputation for yourself, people want to come back, right? So for me, I've just invested heavily in my network. And um, and I, I think this is probably now like our biggest chapter is that, you know, we are a very boutique agency. And, you know, to we're in our fourth year and um, to, to give ourselves more of a, of a chance for being around for another four years, we have to kind of broaden from my network as well. So this is actually what we're doing at the moment. We're doing a lot of growth experiments and trying to make friends with new partners, basically. So, yeah, it's uh, I, but I, I don't want to kind of distract the amount of work or, or take away from. Uh, all of that time I've invested in building those working relationships. And, you know, sometimes as well, like when you make connections with people and then they leave and they go to a new company, it's often the case that the original company where we were brought in, they will still commission us for, for consulting work. And obviously when that person then goes on to another company, when it's even better for us, it's like it's almost like they're, they're kind of doing the biz dev for us. But obviously with our reputation, which I take very, very seriously. Yeah, you know what they say, like a build relationship first and then sell after, you know? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> kind of. And how do you ensure the seamless international collaboration with those companies, like especially with a team that, is, that, that operates kind of globally? Yeah, it's, um, you know, I guess, you know, since the pandemic, we've all had to work a little bit harder remotely as well, right? So um, we, we are small enough, um, that we can, uh, you know, we can probably get away with a few more things. So, you know, we do, you know, constantly check in with our, our customers. And, um, but I think we also have a very unique set of skills so that when we do work with those, uh, those partners in a remote environment, they almost feel like they're working with us in the same studio. So, um, I'm not going to kind of share what those tactics are because they're very personal to kind of like our business model, but, we, we tend to give people a very personal and um, a very honest and transparent day-to-day uh, -day working. Um, and it's like, it's like with anything, it's like, you know, if people invest in a company to help them and they're an external agency. We want to be so transparent and so available that, that that team can feel like they're actually working with us and we're like, we're sat at the same desk. So 
it's just making sure that um, you know we constantly kind of build on those those kind of digital uh, relationships as well. So you mentioned that initially your company, uh, your studio, the Sleep, started as a vendor for takes, as far as I understood. But uh, your your because of your significant kind of contributions, trans uh, transformed your role from a vendor to this uh, co-founder of this of this new company. So. Uh, it, it seems like a very unique journey. Uh, could you maybe share more, uh, share more about this? Yeah. So, again, you know, this goes back to our kind of our network kind of conversation from earlier. And that was, you know, uh, someone based in uh, California who is a client of ours. Um, he recommended us uh, to his friend who was uh, about to embark upon uh, this crazy idea of combining sports and social media together into like a, a digital experience and um and actually yeah when iams contacted me he was like uh, rob can you can you make us a prototype i was like we think we have a great idea and then when i dug a little bit deeper and i was trying to understand exactly like what the the you know why he needed just a prototype or a proof of concept but like, i kind of recommended well we should be doing a sprint for you because you'll already get a prototype as a byproduct of running the sprint but if you're going and having conversations with investors to kind of whet their appetites and to kind of like explain like why there's a need to make this, then the design sprint will actually help you have all of these answers as well as having a prototype and, you know, actual potential user validation as well. So, um, you know, it was early phase. It was completely bootstrapped. And, you know, our sprints are expensive. I'm not going to lie, but, you know, that's kind of why people come to us because they normally have very significant challenges that they want to solve. And um, I really liked the idea of this product. And um, so I said to Iams that like, we would, be we would be happy to do the sprint and we would do it at a discount price um, if he considered like the offset of, uh, of our original costings could be put into like equity so that we can have some uh, agreement that, you know, if, if we felt like this was something that worth pursuing and then we would obviously invest in it as well. And uh, we ran uh, the two-week iteration sprint, which is where we do a back-to-back -back sprint. So we get the data and then we go, right, well, we had these recommendations that we changed like X, Y, and Z. We would make those changes, then test again. And uh, we've often found that this helps us make more robust products as well because we have a better understanding. And the data that we got was just incredible. It was like, wow, like we really felt like, um, you know, we'd, you know, we'd found the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that, you know, we felt that this is an opportunity that we should really kind of expand upon. And um, the great thing about Iams is that he was really connect, really well connected. He had, um, he had advisors from Google, from Disney, from uh, EA Sports, from Snap Inc. as well. So like all of these big kind of US companies, he, he knew people that were giving him kind of strategic advice on like how to actually make this a product. So, and um, that's kind of how we got involved right at the beginning. And then uh, I guess once we'd um, actually proved the actual product uh, was a great idea, as a bonus uh, track, um, my team actually created a like 90 second video to show like how this product would be used. Because back in the early days, um, we had this um, we had this feature where you held your phone up to uh, like a sports game that was being played and it would be able to tell you exactly what the game was and give you a score bug or a scoreboard based on the, the live play. And, um, you know, when you're creating a prototype, it's kind of hard to kind of show really that human uh, kind of digital connection. So we felt the video 
would be a really great kind of precursor that, that whenever they were going in and talking to investors that they would you know do their introductions play the video and then take questions rather than than spending you know significant amount of time with those investors explaining kind of like how it worked so we gave them the video as a kind of like a uh, like an extra bonus and um we found that that actually was a much more significant way to enhance the conversion for the the investors to kind of want to want to part with some of their cash so it was a win-win for everybody really and then um about i think it was probably about four months afterwards uh we got the green light uh be the leap went into an execution arm to the making that product and we actually started doing subsequent releases for uh, the app store i think we had our first working version of onboarding within literally probably 10 days uh, the dev team are incredibly talented and um, obviously with the design team as well, we were able to, to make these things come to life really, really quickly. And then um, I guess you're looking at probably by the end of, um, it would have been by the end of summer 2021, I guess it would have been. Um, it was just, we were literally getting ready to kind of um, do an unofficial um, app store version of that um of that um actual app so that we were it was a closed beta group so that we could have a, a number of users on it and um yeah i think we had a, a like a literally 150 people on the platform within a few weeks and uh, and now we're subsequently kind of pushing all of our uh, kind of efforts into a growth we want to get to like 10,000 users on the platform before uh, January, February time next next year. So we're already on on track to getting to three thousand. So um, yeah, we're 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 doing some pretty good number crunching on the growth. And I can't take credit from that, but that was again part of uh, some of the other co-founders that were being brought in as well. But mm -hmm. to answer your question, they they saw the value in and how we were applying a strate strategic and uh, creative arm to their offering. And with my ability to kind of lead that, um, it was a natural, uh, I guess, um, offering to kind of give me a, a co-founder uh, kind of offering mm -hmm. on that as well. So yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And would you would you recommend the same like a model to other maybe agency founders? I mean, consider taking equity instead of charging fees. Yeah. So I, again, I want to be really careful here because like you know, companies like we have a small company, right? So we cannot survive on equity alone like we still have to pay uh, people's salaries and things like that so um there has to be a kind of a balance with regards to uh the value that you provide and um the the kind of like the retention or um retainer figure i guess you could say uh, uh, for doing kind of like execution work but when it comes down to the risk and kind of validating that proof of concept, we also go into every engagement wanting to break it because as much as we love some of these ideas, you know, we're trying to remain emotionally, you know, distant from like, you know, whether we think it's going to work or not. We would rather let the data kind of prove that. So, you know, as with anything, you have to prove the business model, check that it kind of is viable. Um, produce a tangible working prototype of it so people can really understand like the intent behind it and then the kind of the real design starts but yeah it all comes down to um being able to identify what that value is and putting a percentage of equity against that because obviously you know without us materializing that as quickly as we did um you know people don't really know what it is that you're talking about so i guess we were the first ones to take the risk and for that, we were we we found a really good balance with regards to equity and uh, a retention figure as well. 
Okay, that totally makes sense. Uh, let's talk a bit about like AI, right? So my, my favorite yeah. question. Uh, <laughs> so uh, frankly speaking, like uh, AI significantly changed the way how we work at GoGlobby. Like uh, we, we changed all processes. We implemented a number of new internally created tools. Uh, what about you? What about your agency? Has AI changed this uh, the way you uh, do your work, like uh, or or not really? I guess um, yes and no. So not not to be kind of too vague on it. Yes and no. I say of course, like everybody's acutely aware of you know the AI and the ChatGPT kind of like impact that it's had on the world, and we're seeing updates now for like versions four and four point five. And, you know, it's becoming a completely kind of seamless, like, um, you know, in, integrated experience. So, yes, like we are like, um, you know, carefully watching like what its capabilities are. Um, I would say I'm glad I'm not just focused in UX and UI now. I think if I was only doing that, I think I would be extremely worried. But I mean, I would say not immediately, like within the next five, probably 10 years, it's probably going to you know, kill a lot of those jobs, but you still need designers to know whether it's making the right things. Yeah. So I think it's never going to completely remove like the UX or UI side of like how a product is made because you're still going to need people and your customers with the empathy of knowing your customers to know if what it's recommending is going to be the right thing. Yeah. It's never going to be completely automated or certainly not for the foreseeable future. But, um, yeah, it's definitely uh, it's definitely uh, something um, to kind of bear in mind. But we kind of made sure that we were still very people orientated. So a lot of our workshop, in fact, all of our workshops, uh, all of our engagements start with a workshop with our customer, and that's where we can really truly delve into empathizing with what their requirements are and actually working with them. And a lot of the time, it comes down to. You know, it's not just about creating something going that you go. The mindset and the disruption in, in how we make products these days is actually bringing that, that client with you on that journey so that they, they know they're a part of the decisions made along the way. And that's where they, you get the most buy-in and the most kind of uh, longevity with those products. So, yeah, definitely having it people orientated is, is a good differentiator for us with regards to like what all the, uh, the chat GPT stuff is doing. Um, but I also wanted to say that within days of ChatGPT being available, we'd already integrated it into takes. And um, we actually have that as part of our interface that ena enables our fans and users to have more accurate sports data. And we've done that in, in a kind of almost like a chat style kind of way. It's way better than that. Um, but um, it was very easy to um, very easy to kind of integrate that and actually kudos to uh, Mike Durst and his dev team for kind of doing that so rapidly. Um, but um, yeah, we, we've also got a lot of new technological advancements off the back of AI uh, within that experience. I'm not going to share them here because otherwise everybody's going to copy them. But um, there's a lot of really cool things coming with regards to personalization and things like that. So yeah, it's it's exciting times for sure when, you, when you're in a unique position of being kind of responsible for a customer experience in your own app and also being a strategic agency and how we use that in, in our kind of customer and client experiences. Uh, I, I feel like I've got the best of both worlds, I'll be honest. 
Okay, and before we we, we finish this this discussion, uh, based on your experience, what advice would you give to talent, uh, maybe to designers or even to entrepreneurs uh, who are looking to succeed succeed in the in the current market that is tough from my point of view? What advice would you give to them? Are there any key principles, lessons that you learned from your journey that could be beneficial for them at this point? Yeah, actually, one of my first conversations with, with, was with a, a professor at a university here in Berlin. And we were having this conversation around the whole of like chat and like, you know, um, uh, GPT and where it's going. And um, he actually shared with me something that uh, really still resonates with me as strongly as the day that he we were talking about it. And that was, you know, he was basically coming at the angle that it's going to really, it's going to really heighten the human connection and conversations that we have, like, you know, we're having right now, because I think people will rely on AI to help them, you know, qualify for interviews. They will help them qualify for writing articles that they, they're not very good at writing. And I think it comes back to, you know, you're going to have to be able to back that up at some point. And you will be able to back that up by having, um, you know, in-person human conversations. And I think it will actually make these human conversations more prominent, more relevant. And um, yeah, I think there's there's going to be a point where, yeah, of course, like it's like, you know, I've got Sharpies on my desk. People are going to be using ChatGPT to do whatever their day-to-day -day stuff is, but they're still going to need to be able to have conversations and show that they actually know their stuff rather than just regurgitating something from uh, a ChatGPT post that you've asked it to create or something. So go to go back to your question. Yeah, I think it's going to be about being more human, being more uh, knowledgeable and, you know, obviously retaining that information so that you can talk about it. And I think that's going to be really the value in, in the future and that we, we should hopefully uh, cherish and and try and have more uh, in-person conversations basically yeah that's true um thank you thank you rob it's it's thank been you. a pleasure having you on the default global podcast uh thank you for for your thoughts for your insights on design sprints on remote work and on the way how we can become a global first entrepreneur on <laughs> ai thanks a lot thanks a lot for your time thank you as well thanks for having me